I have an app on my uh, iPhone that I've used for years, uh, literally for probably eight or ten years. It has been refined over the years. But the app is a real simple app. It's called This Day in History. And uh, every day it just sends a text to either my phone or whatever, computer, email, whatever, about something that's significant that happened on this day in history. And I was interested uh, in today, the text that I got was that on this day in history, in AD 563, Buddha was born. And uh, there was nothing written during his time frame, from what I understand, of when he was actually here on earth. Most of the writings about Buddha didn't happen until 400 years after the fact of his death. And uh, one of the things I'm just thankful for is that we don't serve a God that had a birth date. God has always been, always is, and always will be. And uh, we don't have to think back about somebody who walked the earth. We, we look to a God who created it. And I'm so thankful for that. Which kind of leads into our message today. How great is your God? How great is your God? I want to ask you that question. I want you to think about it. How great is your God? I'm not really asking if you know the facts about how incredible God is or if you know all kinds of facts about His attributes. I'm asking how great is God to you? The answer to that question can be seen in how we demonstrate our commitment to Him. If we truly believe that God is great, we'll be completely committed to Him, but the opposite is also true. Do we really have a picture of how great God is? As I was thinking about what to preach on this week, and the one thing that just kept coming to my mind is I just want to read Scripture the entire service. And I thought, well, that won't go over real well. But then again, why not? We really need to have a glimpse of how great God is. Because I think if we forget how great God is, we tend to become apathetic towards the things of God. If Jesus Christ, who God sent to this world to bring us into a relationship with Him, is not the foremost of our focus, then what good is it that He came? I hope church is not something that we just do once a week because that's what we do once a week. We come to church. I hope that having a Bible is not just, well, we're lucky we have a Bible and we read it occasionally, but that we want to know more about who God is so that we can deepen our relationship with Him. Right? So it's more than a name on a page of a piece of paper in a book somewhere. It's God's gift to us. A letter to how He wants us to know Him and how we can know more about Him so that we can live for Him. But the whole word behind apathy is apatheo, means you're not convinced. People who are unconvinced of who God is don't trust in Him completely. They become apathetic. Well, we may throw a Hail Mary prayer out there, and maybe God would be so gracious as to answer it, but I'm not really expecting it. Let's be honest. When's the last time we spent time in prayer that we really just begged and said, God, you have to do this, otherwise it's not going to happen. But we're not really convinced of who God is and how great He is. 
When's the last time that we pleaded our heart out towards him and said, God, you did this for the Israelites and you did this for the children of Israel in the book of Exodus and you did this throughout the Gospels. Why don't we see your hand today and we beg God to see his hand? Why don't we do that? If nothing else, these last several weeks of praying every Saturday night have have taught me that God is listening and that God is real and that God has reminded me that he's still on the throne and he's answering prayer. Amen? I'm watching it and I'm seeing it unfold and I'm thinking, God, why didn't I do this before? It's amazing. And it's exciting. Isn't Isn't it refreshing, Aaron, to come and pray? Mike, some of you others have showed up. It's exciting to see when God answers prayer and you know He's at work and you know it's only something that He can do. But if you're not convinced of how great God is, you won't be committed to praying to Him. It's just something you'll do as part of the routine, part of the habit. I'm amazed at who God is. So, as I didn't really want to do, I'm going to do this morning. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. So if you... uh, as I've been accused of going a little fast at times, as you, you know, uh, if you can't catch up, it's on the board. But I encourage you to go to these passages and underline them and, and look at the key words in these phrases. But the first one I want to look at this morning is about our living God and everything that He created for Himself. And it's found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For everything was created by Him. Just let that sink in for a minute. That He created all things. It's more than just a factual thing that in Genesis 1, God created everything. He created everything. They're talking about the heavens and the stars and the planets and the galaxies and the universe. He's created it all. But it goes deeper than that. It says, In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and, what's the word? For Him. Everything that you see, everything that is is in existence today was not for you and I. It's for Himself. And it's just a display of His own glory. And his own ability. And his own power. And verse 17 says, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's not just a creator, he's a sustainer. Some people have this idea that there was a God way back when, thousands of years ago, he created things and then he just kind of let it go. No, he didn't. He created it and now he sustains it. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. So over to the page, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. says, Our Lord and God, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because You have created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Now there's an interesting word there. There's the word will, but some of your translations has another word there, and it's the word pleasure. It says, for your, by your will, or for your pleasure, they were created. God created everything that he did, for his, for, not only for himself, but for his own pleasure. Think about that. Why do we do what we do? Because we enjoy it? Because it brings us joy, or satisfaction, or fulfillment? God says, everything that I made, I did it for my own pleasure. Think about that. He created everything, you, me, Everything that you can see for himself. And then back in the book of Psalm, chapter 104. 
104, verse 24. This is awesome. How countless are your works, Lord? Just fathom that question right there. Just stop right there. How countless. What's he saying here? His works are so vast and so incredible and so great that they can't even be numbered. Think about that. Is that not cool? Is that not awesome of a God who has done so many things you can't even keep track of them all? That's an incredible God. And then he says, now you didn't just flippantly do it. I mean, there's production lines. And the only purpose of a production line is to kick things out. One after the other. That's not how God created stuff. He says, in wisdom you have made them all. It wasn't junk he put out. It wasn't just flippant material that he's running through a processor. He says, in wisdom you've made them all. And the earth is full of your creatures. Isn't that incredible? Does that not strike you as like awesome? I mean, think about that. In contrast, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 10. Just a few pages to the right there, Jeremiah chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 13 verses, so hang on. It says, Hear the word that the Lord has spoken to you, house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the way of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. Now here's where it gets good. It says, Someone cuts down a tree from the forest. It is worked by the hands of a craftsman with a chisel. He decorates it with silver and gold. It is fastened with hammer and nail so it won't totter. Like scarecrows in a cucumber patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they cannot do harm. And they cannot do any good. So in other words, the idols that man makes are worthless. They do absolutely nothing of any value. Then verse 6, Lord, there is no one like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? It is what you deserve for among all the wise people of the nations, among all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Look what he says verse 8. They are both stupid and foolish. I mean, think about that. Nothing can compare to the greatness of our God. Anything that man can create... Verse 9, beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. The work of craftsmen and of goldsmiths' hands is clothed in blue and purple, all the work of skilled artisans. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the eternal King. The earth quakes at His wrath and the nations cannot endure His rage. You are to say this to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from the under these heavens... He made the earth by His power, established the word by His wisdom, and spread out the heavens by His understanding. When He he thunders, the waters in the heavens are in turmoil. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings wind from His storehouses. I'm exhausted reading about what He's doing. It's amazing what He's done. One thing I've learned over the last several weeks and months is going to the to the gym every day is that the world has lots of gods 
And uh, there's a club that I'm not worthy to be a part of. Um, it's called the Corvette Club. <laughs> but there are about seven guys over there that have Corvettes. And they talk about them. How many horsepower they have. How fast they are. The year that they are. How much it costs. Over the last several months, I've put together that there's this one that has this one, and this one has this one, and this one has this one, and this one has this one. It's a club that I'm not worthy of. But I find it amazing that every little detail is taken into consideration by those that own them. They talk about the tires. They talk about the motors. They talk about the horsepower. They talk about the speed and how fast they go. They talk about the aerodynamics. They talk about the the interiors, the leather. I mean, they talk about it all. Man-made stuff. And we know from the Word of God there are only two things that will span the test of time. The souls of men and the Word of God. Everything else will be tried by fire, right? So what do we invest in? Do we invest in the one and true and only living God? Or do we invest in stuff? You say, well, Pastor, what does that really mean? What are you committed to? What gets your time, your attention, your focus... Because anything that we give more time, attention, and focus to has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. It has the potential of becoming a man-made thing that will distract us, that will steal our attention, that will steal our focus off from what is most important. And he says over and over, he says in Psalm 97, verse 7, all who serve carved images, all who, those who boast in idols will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. And verse 9 says, For you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all gods. Do we treat God as though he is above everything? Remember that first verse, Colossians 1, that in all things he might have preeminence, that in all things he might be above everything else in life. I wonder how often do we truly live that out in our lives. You know, I was sharing with somebody a, a, a thought that came to my mind the other day about something John MacArthur had said years ago. It's something we really need to watch out for. In churches that are older, and we have an older church, and I'm not talking about age, I'm talking about the maturity level. A church where you have members who have been here for 25, 30 35 years. I would imagine that in 25 to 35 years, and some of you that have been Christians that long, you've heard a lot of messages. You've heard a lot of sermons preached. You've heard a lot of the key texts explained. And this is the phrase that John MacArthur made, or the statement that he made. One of the most terrifying things that we can do as believers is listen to what the pastor says, and then immediately in our minds come to the conclusion, oh, I've heard this message before, or something similar to this message, and just kind of go into coast mode. We've heard that. I've seen that before. And I think sometimes that happens in our walk with the Lord. It becomes stale. We pray and we don't really see any answers. We wonder if God's really there. We kind of go about our day and things are busy, so we kind of 
occupy our time with the responsibilities of life. I mean, God understands anyway, right? I mean, he understands that we have a family and we have jobs and we have things that we're committed to and to-do lists and things that have to get done. So God understands that I don't give much time, much attention, much focus, much energy. He gets it. Does he? I mean, how does that work in our relationships with our spouses? I know how it works in my life when I get a little busy. Get distracted by things that don't really matter. But I think they're important. I wonder how God feels. We say that we love him. We say that he's awesome. We say that we can't wait to spend eternity with him. And yet we don't give him five minutes a day in reading his word. Or five minutes a day in prayer other than praying for the blessing on the meal that we eat. Let's be honest. How great is God to us? Or is he just another idol? Another God, small g, in our life? In Isaiah 44, verse 9, it says, All who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. The things that we value, the things that become idols in our life, God says will be put to shame. So our living God and everything he created is for himself. He created you, not for you, but for himself. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. And think about that. And he doesn't make junk. He puts value. And he puts forethought and wisdom to what he creates. And he says, we're his workmanship. It's got to be awesome, right? Think about that. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Knowing not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God and your body and spirit, which are His. We belong to Him. And He's so awesome. And He wants that relationship with us. But consider the glory of God in the name of Jesus. If you would take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm chapter 8, back, back a pinch to the left. Psalm chapter 8. Just eight verses here. says, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. To me, there is nothing more beautiful in all the world than, a, than an incredible sunset arrayed with all the colors. If you've ever been down at the lake and, the, and it's sunset and it just, it just lights up the sky, it just, you can't paint a more beautiful picture. It's just one aspect of God's creation. Or on a mountaintop, or down in a cave, or wherever you see God's handiwork. It says verse two, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. How powerful is God? It says when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, think about that. Every phrase, think about this. He set the stars in place. How many stars are there? You can't even count them. There are so many. Man does not even have a, can't fathom how many stars are in the universe. Just about the time you think of you got this, this one galaxy, and then you realize that this is one of thousands. And God says he put the stars in place. Fathom that for a minute if you can. I can't. 
What is human being that you remember him? Some of your translations may say this phrase, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Another one says, What is manful that you even think of him? Wow. A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Read verse 9 aloud with me. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Think about that. He's incredible. He's talking about this name, the name of Jesus. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. This is where it all comes together. He's an awesome God who's created all things for His own glory. Psalm 8, He tells us who who He is and what He's done. Verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Sometimes we have the idea that, hey, we're all going to get there. You know, this guy has his way to heaven. This person has their way to heaven. This person believes this. But, you know, we're all going to get there. And not going to happen. It would be so awesome if you could just say, boom, you got it. Doesn't work that way. See, there's only one. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. It only comes through a relationship with him. And can I just say this for those of you that might be questioning, might be wondering here this morning, it's not about joining a church. I don't care what church you think you might join. I know of a good one, but it's not about joining a church. It's not about being a Baptist, a Church of God, Church of Christ, Lutheran, Methodist, and whatever else you can throw in there. There's 40,000 registered religions, so pick one. It's not in a religion. It's in relationship. And this is where we start to understand who God is and what He has done. And if we know, as I said in the beginning, how great is your God? I didn't ask you if you know about God. Who's God to you? Jesus asked that question. He says, who do you think I am? Who do others say that I am? The question is not about what the world thinks. The question is, what does God's word say? So it's not being Catholic or Baptist or anything else. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him? When you stand at the gate of heaven, proverbial gate of heaven, if God were to ask you this question, why should, I answer, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Well, I'm a good person. I went to church. I gave to, gave to the needs of the world. You know, I helped the poor, the needy, the downed out. Those are all wonderful things. And Jesus says, if you give a cup of water in my name, you've done it unto me. That's wonderful. But it ain't going to get you to heaven. It ain't going to get you there. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He's not a way. He's the only way. The only way. And it's only on that basis of putting our faith and trust in Him and Him alone that we can stand before God and say, because I put my faith and my trust in you and what you did for me on the cross. That's what allows me into heaven. 
But it's not the get out of jail free card. It's about having a relationship with him. My wife and I are closer today, 23 years after we got married, than we were when we met each other. Isn't that true of most of us in relationships? Yeah, that would be no different than with your relationship with God. As you get to know him, you draw closer to him, and you can't wait to spend time with him. It's a relationship. It's not religion. Religion will send people to hell. Do you hear that? Religion will send people to hell. Saying prayers, thinking that they're going to heaven, will send people to hell. It's about having faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And if we say that we love that God, does our life back it up? Simple question. Simply answered by our life. Put this statement out there over several times over the last few years. Our walk walks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks, right? Actions speak louder than words. Who's God to you? Isaiah 46. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9. It says, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from one, from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. What a God who says I will complete what I start. And nobody's going to thwart my plans as his word says. And there's nothing that our God does not know. Do you think about that? There's nothing that our God does not know. He knows everything. Psalm 147, if you would turn there, we're almost through. Psalm 147. I hope you're just letting the words of God's word to us sink in. Psalm 147. 7 verse 5 says our Lord is great vast in power his understanding is what's the word infinite there's no end to what God knows and this just for kicks and giggles just because he's God look at verses 3 and 4 he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds he counts the numbers of the stars. He gives them names to all of them. Wait a minute. All those stars that he set in place? I mean, galaxy after galaxy, thousands upon thousands of stars that he put in place, he names them. Try to think of names of 60 people in a church. Then multiply it times 6 billion stars. He knows the names. That's an incredible God. That's an incredible... Do you get that? That's incredible! That's an incredible God. And he says, Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. There's nothing he doesn't know. And he reminds us of that in Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 13, he simply says this. Almost there. 
It says, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed through the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There is nothing that is hidden from God. If he can super miraculously place billions of stars in place, stars that you and I can't even see with the naked eye, certainly he can see everything that's going on in our lives. The things that might be hidden to man are not hidden to God. The things that we can hide from our spouse, from our children, from our co-workers, from our friends, from our relatives, they're not hidden from God. And he says, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What a powerful, awesome God. Three more passages, and we'll close. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. It's one of David's prayers. Verse 11 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. I wonder if you get a couple more adjectives in there, a couple more descriptive words in there. It says, For everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. He says, everything that happens is in the power of your hand. That's incredible. Think about that. I come back to that question. How great is God to you? How great is God to me? I don't know how I like to control stuff. Anybody else a control stuff freak? He says, everything is in your hand, God. Psalm 135. says, Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. Stop right there just for a minute. Quit looking at the verses. Just stop for a second. Think about this. When we come into church every week, and the worship team comes up here to lead us in worship, what's our attitude? We were praising. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks ahead, too. I heard some great stuff this last week on that stuff. We're going to talk about praise. Do we get excited about praising God? Now, I know some of you. I know your sports teams. I know how much it gets you riled. does me too once in a while. I like to see the Vikings do something for once in the lifetime. But lose hope. But I know how excited some of you all get with your favorite athletes, your favorite teams. Let's kind of throw a little twist on that. How 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 amped up we get about politics and what's happening, what's not happening, or what's taking place at work. Man, we can get excited in all kinds of ways. How excited do we get about God that we say that we love? We come in, I don't like that song. I don't don't care for drums or guitars. Also, Why can't we just use a piano and organ? Why can't we just use an organ? Get over it. Praise God. Right? 
I remember I grew up in a church that you were not allowed to raise hands. I grew up in that church. And I remember going on a mission trip as a teenager, or taking a group of teenagers. And it was so ingrained in our minds that we don't raise hands because we're not Pentecostal, we're not charismatic, we don't do that thing. That's what they do. It's not what we do. And I remember our youth choir was standing in behind us. And they were just singing a song for everybody in the congregation. And one old lady in the way back just started lifting her hands up to the Lord and worshiping. And one of the girls in the youth group, she meant to say it quietly, but she didn't quite say it quiet enough. Yes, ma'am, you have a question. (laughs) It was just so ingrained that we don't get too excited about praising God. So it was a joke. (laughs) Bad hand, get down, bad hand. (laughs) It says, come and praise. And if you study out those words, praise in Scripture, I guarantee you it's not what you think it is. Saying, Pastor, we have to come to church and raise hands every week? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you ought to have the freedom to truly worship and to praise God, to boast in Him and what He has done. Man, this is good stuff. Verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The author here says, I know. I don't think, I don't hope that he's greater. I know that he's greater. And the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the depths. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from his storehouses. That's a powerful God. One more. Back just a few pages of the book of Job. Right at the end of the book, Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything. Do we have that kind of confidence in God? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you had that kind of confidence in God? God, I know you can do anything. When's the last time we've had that kind of confidence? God, I know you can do anything. Not just a fact on a piece of paper. These are all the attributes of God. He can do anything. But where we truly believe that. And no plan of yours can be thwarted. I think we get part of prayer right. Part. In Hebrews it says, they that come to God must believe that He exists. I think we got that part right. I think if I were to give every one of you in this room a poll, do you believe that God exists? Overwhelmingly, we're going to hear, yeah, of course. God exists. Yep. Got it. But it also says in the second part of that verse, not only they that come to God must believe that He exists, but that He rewards them that diligently seek Him. Do we believe that God's going to reward our coming to Him? What I've seen the last several weeks is, to me, confirmation that God is at work. 
The last several weeks, I started off in November saying God challenged me to take some more steps spiritually. That God challenged me to step out on faith in some areas. And let me just tell you, when you make any type of commitment like that, Satan is fighting your hand and tooth and nail. I'm just telling you, it's hard. Ask my wife. I mean, don't think Satan's not at work. Talk to my kids. They'll tell you the real me. Cut me, I bleed red, just like you. Man, I want to, I want to see God work. And I know that every time I make a commitment to just trust God more, to see His hand at work, Satan fights that. He don't want you to have peace and unity in your home. He don't want you to have everything that you need. Satan just will cause any amount of things. You say, you believe? Yeah, I do believe that. I believe that there is an entity out there. I believe that Satan is at work because God's Word says he is. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, As a roaring lion, he seeks about walking about seeking whom he may devour. Satan would love nothing more than to get a foothold in your door. And when you make a commitment, he doesn't like it. And I can tell you, since I made the commitment, Satan's fighting, but I'm guaranteed he might win a battle. He ain't getting a war. And I'm still, I'm just committed to this. It's just like, I make this commitment, and now all of a sudden you have a basement flooding with no insurance, and it's just like, still want to do this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I want to see God do something. Yes, bring it on. Because I believe he's that powerful. And I know that every time you make a commitment like that, it's not without opposition. But since we made that commitment in November to just completely pray more, the first several weeks, I'll just be honest with you, and I'm almost done. I pray that God would just give us the finances to fix stuff. We just need to fix stuff. We got the basement stinking like mold, and we got flooring that needs to be in. God, just give us the money. Just give us the money. God, just God, I know you can do this. This is your house, and if you want to, you want to stinking like mold. That's fine. It's yours. It's his, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's his. But I know God doesn't want His house stinking like mold. God provided through His people, and a lot of it came outside the doors of this church, from other church pastors and other people. And I thought, God did that. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. That's awesome. God provided the financial needs to fix everything. But wait a minute. Our focus, as I say often, shouldn't be on the physical. It should be more on the spiritual, because those are the greater needs, right? So God, bring us some visitors. Correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but I think we've had visitors every week since then. God has been answering prayers. Most every week we've got new visitors. I'm saying, God, thank you. I didn't pray for ten visitors. I prayed, God, just give us one. Just give us one more. Just give us one more. And when I didn't pray, they didn't come. It's just that true. And when they didn't come, I next, next week I said, God, give us those visitors back again. And they came back again. And I said, Lord, more than visitors, there might be some people here that don't have a relationship with you. I said, Lord, would you work on the hearts to draw some people into salvation? God answered that. And there's still some people we're praying for. But these last few weeks of praying more, that has only confirmed that God is there. And that He is answering prayers. You know, I found something that's a little bit irritating to me, just to be real completely honest. It doesn't happen on my time frame. Go figure. I want it now. And don't look at me, you want it too. But can I just tell you, we serve an awesome God. A powerful God. A great God. But it says, they that come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards 
them that diligently seek him. And I found in my life is that there's been ebbs and flows in my prayer life. There's been times where I've just been really great at it and consistent at it. And for whatever reason under the sun, it kind of just stops. Anybody else been there? Then God challenges you again, you make that commitment all over again. And it goes great for three weeks. And then it stops again for whatever reason. And I've just seen that the consistency and just being faithful at it and saying, God, I'm counting on you. He's shown up. He's working. I want us to walk away today with a greater sense of not just knowledge of who God is, but because he is so incredibly awesome, we get to have a relationship with him. We get to have one. He's invited us into his family. Think about that. That's incredible. That God allows us to be a part of who he is. See, it's not about religion. It's not about going to church, although we should be in church. You say, well, is there a verse for that? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah there is. Hebrews 10.25, for those of you that just have a verse, says, and do not forsake the assembling. Yeah, you're to be here. And if you're here, Corinthians says, he puts you right where he wants you, right in the body. He put you there. No accident. So yeah, I believe in church. But I don't believe in church in going to do it just because that's what we do on Sundays. I believe in it because we get to draw closer to God. We get to develop into our relationship with him and grow stronger and deeper roots with him. Get to be challenged by what his word says. And every week as I close in prayer, I say these words. We have an opportunity to respond to what God's word has challenged us with. What will you do with the knowledge that God has given you through his word? You say, well, that's cool. We learned some great things about who God is. Awesome. Great. Or we can walk away and say, God, forgive me. I've taken it so flippantly. I've taken I've been so careless about who you are. I say that I love you, but my life doesn't back it up. I say that I'm committed, but yet there's other things that have let become more important than this. We have a response. We have an ability, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's word says about himself. And what you do with it, it's between you and God. But I would challenge you to let the information about who God is challenge you to serve a greater God. To challenge God to do what only he can do. And to trust him to do it. I don't know about you, but does anyone want to see God at work? Seriously? I mean, you want to see God do something? Get in his face. Get in his face. Because that's where God works. What is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Just get into it. (laughs) I heard a song Thursday night that God's love is fierce like a lion. I thought to myself, that is an incredible word picture. That his love is fierce like a lion. God is tenacious in his love towards us. Why are we not tenacious in return? God, pray that you work in our hearts this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to us Challenge our hearts to draw closer to you. 
Lord, we can read about all about you all day long. We spend hours doing it. But until we truly come into an intimate relationship with you, Lord, it's just words on a page, just information. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be one that we would truly want to know you. And Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you, Lord. Thank you that you're a God who's long-suffering and patient and kind and forgiving. Because, Lord, we are people who, I speak for myself, Lord, we're hypocritical at times. We say one thing and do another, and yet you're patient with us. God, we say one thing and we speak another, and you're long-suffering. And you continuously extend your grace and your mercy because you're God. Lord, help us never to take it for granted. Help us never to look at it flippantly. Help us not to take lightly who you are. That we may understand that you're an awesome, powerful God. And yes, you love us. And I pray, God, that these words, just scripture, having heard them, Lord, might draw us closer to you. That we would not take flippantly our walk with you that we would become more dedicated, more committed, more fervent in our prayer. Lord, I speak for myself, Lord, I make every good intention. Then life happens. But Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to be faithful, because you are committed, because you are faithful. And Lord, we love you because you first loved us according to 1 John sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. You paid the price. Cost you everything. Lord, help us to consider that. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just a simple opportunity, as I say each week, to respond to what you've heard.